the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Black Swans. No, this isn't a wildlife sanctuary. You know what we mean. We are the Biz 1440, KYCR Golden Valley. With SRN News, I'm Rich Thomason. President Biden and congressional leaders plan to meet again early next week. More talks on the budget. So far, no agreement on raising the debt ceiling. Some of America's largest cities have challenged their 2020 census numbers, now hearing back from the Census Bureau. The biggest winner so far is Boston. The Bureau conceded thousands of college students were not counted because of COVID displacements, which also affected colleges, nursing homes, and prisons in other cities. But correspondent Jackie Quinn reports some cities did not fare as well. In Memphis, for instance, the Bureau actually subtracted three people from the official headcount. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen heading back to the U.S. following G7 talks in Japan. Three days' worth of meetings ending with a statement of support for Ukraine and a pledge to pursue more sanctions against Russia. This is SRN News. It takes teamwork to stay safe on Minnesota roads during the winter. You can help. When you see snowplows at work, slow down. Slower speeds can save lives. Don't crowd the plow and leave plenty of space between yourself and other vehicles. Keep your headlights on to see and be seen. Avoid distractions and always stay alert behind the wheel. This message brought to you by the Minnesota Department of Transportation, the Minnesota Broadcasters Association, and this station. Does inflation have you worried? Maybe you have an appliance or two on life support or dated ones that need to be renewed before the holidays? Don't worry. Appliance Renew has your back. Hey, it's Michael, owner of Appliance Renew. We have a large inventory of brand new name brand scratch and ding appliances at 20 to 50% off. Appliance Renew is your peace of mind solution in these crazy economic times. We have over 250 brand new scratch and ding appliances from LG, Whirlpool, GE, Maytag, Frigidaire, and more. Just waiting for you in our Farmington showroom. All appliances are brand new with a little ding or two. We thoroughly inspect and test everything, and we stand behind our appliances with a complete one-year warranty. Whether you're looking for washers, dryers, stoves, refrigerators, dishwashers, ovens, or more, you'll find it at Appliance Renew in downtown Farmington. Stop by today or search for Appliance Renew online. Saving money is worth the drive when a little ding doesn't mean a thing at Appliance Renew. From supporting local food banks to raising money for those in need, our listeners know they can count on us to lend a helping hand. Like thousands of AM radio stations across the country, we take our commitment to our listeners and our community seriously. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for help and a connection, in addition to the news, information, and entertainment we provide. We would love to hear what you value most about AM radio. Visit wearebroadcasters.com and tell us how you depend on AM. Wearebroadcasters.com. The following program was pre-recorded and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Is it his time?
Where's your hat? Turn all the lights on and kill the noise. The Biz 1440 presents the best two hours of economic news and commentary. It's the King Banyan Show, your source for penetrating economic insight, razor-sharp analysis, and unflinching universal thought. Oh, God, that's all I need. Everything you need to maintain clarity and stay ahead of the economic curve. Let's go while we're young. Now, here's Professor King Banyan. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. Job Saturday was hour one. If you missed it, go to the, go to find the podcast. You'll be able to find that. or You can find that at TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com. TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com. Click on those, click on those podcasts. Look for uh, my smiley face. And um, then uh, go ahead and download the show. You can go back and find out what... Uh, what we've we've done in the past. There's so many things I'd love to get to, and I can't because we got to get through this press conference. It was a doozy, I thought. Um, and my view of it is to be very quick about this. I said this in the top of the first hour as well. Um, it seemed like a pretty good press conference. I would say for the first thirty minutes, he was like tracking almost perfectly what it was he wanted to do. They they wanted to raise rates. They had signaled it. Market expected it. Everything seemed fine and copacetic until he says something. You go, wait, wait. You almost needed the backup, and then and then and then you could hear the uh, the, uh, the the backup horn from the truck as um, as he tried to kind of unwrite what I think was the damaging quote. And I'll identify you identify you fairly quickly. The identifying part. I'm going to split this this hour into parts thematically. I want to talk about his, their reaction vis-a-vis inflation, and then I want to talk about their reaction vis-a-vis financial policy, and particularly um, Silicon Valley Bank. Since the last press conference, in, you know, right after you know, right after the uh, the seizure of Silicon Valley and Signature Banks, but obviously before First Republic, which just had happened, you know, had had been sold off the week before, and I, I, I I'll I'll talk. We'll talk a little bit about that too. Um, you will see that you know there's been a report that's been issued, and in the process of that, and I should tweet to you this. Um, a few weeks ago, um, there were there was testimony about Silicon Valley on on Capitol Hill, uh, where where they got. And we talked about what their reaction was, but one of the pieces I had I had not discussed on the show before was that the test the testimony. And this would have been in late March, revealed that the Federal Reserve Board the governors and the presidents had received a report discussing places like Silicon Valley, and Silicon Valley itself was named in February of this year, three weeks before before the closure of Silicon Valley by FDIC, the Federal Reserve had received a report about its situation. And that came out in testimony. Um... At that time, and it's and it's an important it's an important fact here. Um, it, you know, they said they were actively engaged with SVB, but the full extent of the bank's vulnerability 
was not apparent until an unexpected bank run on March 9th, is what Barr said at the time. But the Feb- but in fact, their risk was actually known to the Fed three weeks prior. The testimony came out after the Fed, the last FOMC meeting, about 10 days later. And Powell gets asked significantly about this. So I'm going to set that part to the side. I want you to know it's there and it's coming, but I'm just going to take that I'm going to take that piece to the side and just focus on on the issue of what said. So what did they do? Here it is in just night in a nice 30 second clip. Let's play let's play this. This should be cut too. Before discussing today's meeting, uh let nope, me comment no, briefly no, on No, you still have uh, I'm sorry. I keep forgetting. I have I have done this wrong. I've done you wrong on this. Uh, cut three. Today, the FOMC raised its policy interest rate by a quarter percentage point. Since early last year, we've raised interest rates by a total of five percentage points in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to two percent over time. We are also continuing to reduce our securities holdings. Looking ahead, we'll take a data-dependent approach in determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate. Now, the only thing he missed on that was that that if I was reading this, and these are prepared remarks, right? So he's got a speech in front of him that has those words on it. If I was writing the speech for someone else to do, I would have underlined the word may, the third to last word. I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. I'll read that last sentence to you again the way I would have read it. Looking ahead, we will take a data-dependent approach in determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate. That is the way in which he wanted people to interpret it. He wanted the interpretation to be, we might be done, but we don't know that we're done. But it comes out in, 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 in Powell speak, that all comes out as this very flat-sounding uh, comment that's being made. Okay, I think I've figured out how I'm how our how our numbering system is a little bit different. I want to then now move forward to talk about what he sees as being the impact of the policies that they have they have they have laid out there. So let's play cut four. With today's action, we have raised interest rates by five percentage points in a little more than a year. We are seeing the effects of our policy tightening on demand in the most interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy, particularly housing and investment. It will take time, however, for the full, full effects of monetary restraint to be realized, especially on inflation. So, so this is a very traditional argument, right? We're going to raise rates. It'll have an impact on the interest rate sensitive sectors. He names the sectors. To go back to what we talked about in the first hour, and particularly thinking about the Goldman Sachs forecast, Goldman Sachs is saying, yes, but you have a very strong labor market that's putting a lot of money in the, in the, in the pockets of households. Those households are willing to go spend. Therefore, that is working contrary to the impact that the Fed is having. And that's why the inflation the inflation come down is very slow, which again makes it very hard to understand how anyone is expecting interest rates, the policy rate from the Fed, to be reduced very fast. Doesn't make sense to me why people would think that, except that, and this is my view of it, they're just having a temper tantrum. 
they were upset they were upset that that Jay might not actually that Jay might be taking the punch bowl further and further away from the party. He continues the very next sentence is uh, cut five. In addition, the economy is likely to face further headwinds from tighter credit conditions. Credit conditions had already been tightening over the past year or so in response to our policy actions and a softer economic outlook. But the strains that emerged in the banking sector in early March appear to be resulting in even tighter credit conditions for households and businesses. In turn, these tighter credit conditions are likely to weigh on economic activity, hiring, and inflation. The extent of these effects remains uncertain. So this is the part. This is some. This is something I'll, you'll hear something about this later. Um, in 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 his answer to a particular uh, a particular question, uh, but how how to translate these tighter credit conditions to rate hikes? But the argument is that actually, Silicon Valley, First Republic, Signature, Credit Suisse, all of these are acting like they were additional rate hikes we are getting more quickly to where we think we need to be. Um, but he says here the effect, the, the extent of these effects remain uncertain. Because of that, they're they going to be very, they, he says in essence, we're going to be very, very, very data dependent. Cut six. <clears throat> Our future policy actions will depend on how events unfold. In determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time, the committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, and economic and financial developments. We, we will make that determination meeting by meeting <clears throat> based on the totality of incoming data and their implications for the outlook for economic activity and inflation. And at the very end of that, he says, and we are prepared to do more if greater monetary policy restraint is warranted. At the very end of that cut, he says, he, he says or the next sentence says that, because he says, we're committed to 2%. And they still believe, the Fed still believes that, yes, even though banking trouble might look like a rate hike, we're not using financial policy to control to control the economy. We're just going to use financial policy to take care of the banks that are in trouble. What we are doing is we're using monetary policy, our, our tools regarding interest rates, uh, asset purchases, and so forth. We're focused on inflation right now because we think we've got the unemployment rate right where it ought to be. Okay, right where it ought to be. So, let me, let's take a break there. That was everything that I thought came out of the prepared statement. And it was very clear that they were, they were saying, we're raising rates. We know we're close. So, I'm not going to say additional rate increases are warranted. We're going to say they might be warranted. They may be warranted. But, but we're still focused on inflation as our primary goal. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to The King Daniel Show on The Biz 1440. Sightseeing in Ferris at the Mall in Bloomington. 
or on horseback in Dallas. We're where you are. Listen to the Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Hi, this is Tim Oberg from the Kingdom Builders. You know, every Minnesota summer brings with it many unpredictable weather events, especially hailstorms. Because a metal roof can be double the cost or more of an asphalt shingle roof, we can offer you a better option at a fraction of the cost. Class 4 rated shingles are tested to a standard that simulates impact from 2-inch hailstones. They can withstand this because they have a different polymer modified asphalt base which is simply designed to be more hail resistant. And it's not that much more expensive. Since it only involves a different shingle and ridge cap, all the other roof components are the same as normal. Many insurance companies also will give you a discount on your premiums with a Class 4 roof. If you already have a roof damage claim, we can show you how little it costs to upgrade your claim to a Class 4 shingle for your new roof. Ask us about it when we stop by. Just call 612-900-9166. That's 612-900-9166. Or go to thekingdombuilders.com. We'll be happy to show you your best options. Wesley Financial Group is not a law firm. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare. And in the process, started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. If we take you as a client, I guarantee we'll cancel your timeshare or you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit. 800-626-5252. That's 800-626-5252. 800-626-5252. Here you it here. It is critical. We keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinion. AM is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you advised of threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to the number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. The Ramsey Show. And your husband's going to step up and get a backbone and deal with this because you're going to end up really further pissed at him if you don't. Yeah, you're going to end up losing your marriage over this. The Ramsey Show, live every weekday afternoon from 1 to 4. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, the Biz 1440. In my earlier life where I would be presenting papers at conferences, at seminars, at universities, and so forth, you would walk in with a presentation, and you had your presentation, and you had it pretty well scripted out. You knew exactly what you wanted to do. I remember one time giving a talk where I had actually written out the first three paragraphs that I wanted to say to the word for word, which I almost never do. But I knew this was a high-stakes presentation with some very important people in the audience. I read the three paragraphs and then couldn't think of what's supposed to come next. I hit the end of my, my prepared my prepared script. I look up and nothing is in my head. And it turned out my prepared script ended with a question. 
And so somebody in the audience who later won a Nobel Prize, I will not identify the person, um, says, so what's the answer? <laughs> and off I went. I was fine. Okay, that's great. But my point is this. When Jay Powell comes to the press conference, the first nine minutes, nine to ten minutes of the press conference, is him reading from a script. Okay, he has prepared remarks. You know this because if you are watching along, the prepared remarks are there in a PDF at the beginning of the press conference. The transcript of the Q&A doesn't come till the next day. So he goes through 10 minutes, and then he does about, he's been doing somewhere currently, and he's shorter than Yellen or Bernanke, he's been doing somewhere between 35 and 45 minutes of Q&A afterward. Sometimes he's been a little over 45, but not by much. And I, I said this to, I said this to uh, uh, Spencer pre-show. I think as he goes later into the press conference, he kind of wears down. He goes back to giving an answer he had before. He's got cards. They're guessing what the questions might be, and he's got talking points for. He's got talking points to respond to questions. It's how anybody would prepare for a high consequence press conference like this. Um, and so he gets the, he gets through his talk. The first question out of the box is usually, uh, Jeannie Smalek from the New York times. He seems to prefer to call on her first. Uh, and so she asked basically, does this, does this statement mean you're going to pause? Uh, and, and he, and, and so, you know, dang well, he had, he had a, he had talking points for this. And so, Here's his answer. This would be cut seven. So uh, taking your question, of course, today our decision was to raise the federal funds rate by 25 basis points. Uh, A a, a decision on a pause was not made today. Uh, You will have noticed that uh, in the the, uh, statement from March, we had a sentence that said the committee anticipates that some additional policy firming may be appropriate. That sentence is is not in, in the statement anymore. We took that out, and instead we're saying that in determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate to return inflation at 2% over time, the committee will take into account certain factors. So we, that's, a, that's a meaningful change that we, we're no longer saying that we anticipate. And uh, so we'll be driven by incoming data, meeting by meeting. Meaning we're not biased toward an increase. We don't, we're, we're just, we're just going to let the, let the data tell us if, if we need another increase. And that's the mess you want to get on. And it, and it was interesting insofar as, as he's actually describing the process by which they write the statement. We want to remove this sentence. And they are, in fact, going through the statement that they made last time and figuring out how to edit. They will actually have copies of earlier statements that they've released to make sure they're consistent with what they said, not just in the last six months or last three months, but what they may have said even 10 to 15 years ago. Okay, that's just the process of statement writing. So he gives them that particular piece of information. And then, and now I have to flip ahead in the press conference a little bit. Um, he, he, in response to uh, Colby Smith from the Financial Times, um, she's asking a very similar question, and, and he responds with this. This would be cut 11. The assessment... Of, uh, of the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate is going to be an ongoing one, meeting by meeting, and we're going to be looking at the factors that I mentioned that they're listed in, in the statement, the obvious factors. 
that's that's the way we're going to be thinking about it. Um, and uh, that's really all we can do. As, as I say, it does complicate. We, we have, you know, a broad understanding of monetary policy. Credit tightening is a different thing. There's a lot of literature on that, but translating it into into rate uh, hikes is, is uncertain. Translating it into rate hikes is uncertain, right? And he says that. He says that's very hard. And that means then for uh, when next next on his questioning list was Howard Schneider from Reuters. And Howard says, okay, so if you've, if you've dropped the references to sufficiently restrictive, does that mean five to five and a quarter is in fact the terminal rate? And he and Powell paints them back to the dot plot. Let's play cut 12. You, you will know that the uh, summary of economic projections from the March meeting showed that in at that point in time that the median participant thought that this was this was the appropriate level of the of the ultimate uh, high level of rates. We don't know that. We'll, we'll revisit that at the June meeting. Indeed, at the uh, Economics Club of Minnesota, Jim Bullard points out a very similar thing, and I'm going I'm having to guess the number on this, but I think this is cut twenty four. That we were looking for, uh, if I recall the dot plot correctly, I think all the dots are above five percent. So um, and maybe one wasn't, but basically uh, the preponderance of the committee wanted to be above five percent. So this move puts us above five percent. It's it's uh, we've done a lot in the last year or a little more than a year, um, but. We have a lot of inflation in the U.S. economy and um, more than we've had since the early 1980s. And so I think it's appropriate to uh, put the policy rate at a higher level so we can try to get the inflation problem behind us sooner. And and that is the that is the point that I think Powell had been trying to make all the way up to here. Now, I want to point out President Bullard's comments were yesterday, Friday, here at the Minnesota Economics Club. Powell was, of course, speaking at the press conference on Wednesday. And I think you will see over the next week, and we're not going to be here next week. I'm actually, I'm actually taking a, a long overdue vacation. Um, and, and so, but, um, so I, I just need a week off. I'm sorry. I just, I got to get out of here for a while. But I will say over this next week, what I anticipate you will hear is a lot of a lot of folks like Bullard, like Mester, like Waller, who are going to try to say, in essence, I think we need to get, I think we need to uh, get to, um, we need to get to a higher rate even than five and five and a quarter, because they wanted the two-way optionality, and up to this point, Paul had been great. He had told he had said exactly what I'm sure he heard from the meeting, having everybody from say, and I'm not even positive I agree that Austin Goolsby's on the on the more dovish side of the spectrum. I, you hear that I'm not positive that's right. Bullard and Waller and Mester are clearly on the more hawkish side of the spectrum. Okay, but but there's someone down here on the more dovish side. Uh, Bostic maybe it's really hard to say. But, but, but Paul is, Paul's very clear on, Paul was very clear up to here. And even in the, in his next answer to uh, Nick Timoros from the Wall Street Journal, who we think 
Powell talks to a lot. And Timorose has written a biography of Powell with Powell's help. He's gotten to interview him uh, at length. He first says exactly the thing you would expect him to say. Cut 13, please. The reason is that we, again, with our monetary policy, we're trying, trying to reach and then, and then stay at, a, uh, for an extended period, a level of, of policy, a policy stance that's sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation down to 2% over time. Simple, right? Very simple. We're trying to get right down to 2%. Very simple statement. He says we're trying to get to, meaning he's left it open that we might not be there yet. And then, and then comes this, which he's still talking with Timoros, uh, and 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 Timoros is just saying, you know, he says, well, look, you need more data, right? You're telling us you need more data. Um, how long is it going to take you to have enough data to determine whether or not it's right? Which is his, which is Timoros trying to sort of back into getting Powell to say how long they might pause after this increase. And Powell is trying to duck away from this, and I think he ducks himself right into a wall. Cut 14. You've seen, take take inflation from it. Look, look back. We've seen inflation come down, move back up two or three times since March of 2021. We've seen inflation have a few months of coming down and then come right back up. So I think you're going to want to see that... Uh, you know that a few months of data will will persuade you that you've that you've got this right kind of thing. And you know, I, we 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 have the luxury. We've we've raised 500 basis points. I think that policy is tight. I think real rates are probably that you can calculate them many different ways. But one way is to look at the nominal rate and then subtract a, a reasonable estimate of of uh, let's say one year inflation, which might be three percent. So you've got two percent real rates. That's meaningfully above what most people would, many people anyway would would assess as, uh, you know, the neutral rate. So policy is tight, and you see that in interest-sensitive interest um, activities, and you also begin to see it more and more in, in other activities. And if, you, if you, put the, um, you put the credit tightening on top of that and the QT uh, that's, that's ongoing, I, th I, think, I think you feel like, you know, we're, we're, we may not be far off or you know, possibly even at that level. And that, I think... You can hear the, the, the struggle. He's trying to think his way through this answer. But this is a bad answer. It's a bad answer because it opens up the possibility that they won't raise rates again, which is exactly what Wall Street, what the financial people wanted to hear. They just wanted to hear that the pain was coming to an end, that there, that, that wouldn't be there. And he's saying, we may be there now. Contrary to everything he said up to that point, this is almost a contradiction. Okay? He, he's added on QT. He's on, added on the credit tightening. Um, and so when I hear people say the rate, I think the interest rate should be at 6%. I heard somebody, I can't remember where I heard it, but someone say, saying, well, I think the rate should get all the way to 6. Uh, my, my, I, I don't remember who. Anyway, the... What Powell's saying is, if you add on QT, if you add on the the credit the the credit tightening and the implied rate hikes from that, although those are really hard to turn, it's really hard to turn a bank failure into a rate hike. 
Okay, there's not a, there's not an exchange rate a, a, a ratio that makes a lot of sense there. Uh, but if you put all those there, we might be there already. And I think the response to that has the response to that was if you looked at the market at that point, it absolutely falls to pieces at that moment. He was the the statement comes out at two o'clock Eastern, no problem. He does the prepared remarks ending about two forty, no problem. Twenty minutes later, he gives this answer, and the market goes, "Ugh, what's going on?" And ha- and and I can almost promise you, the minute he gave this answer, he knew he'd given you a bad answer. We're gonna have to take a break here. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that and what he tried to do to back up the problem. But I would also say we got to talk about what he said about the banks because this was super interesting too. We'll be back after this. King Bang and Show the Biz 1440. When should you start collecting your Social Security? How you answer this question will be the difference in the success or failure of your retirement. Tune in to Money Matters with Alan Mike this week. They'll be sharing Social Security tips from the basics of the program to strategies to maximize your payments. Alan Mike will help you sort out this important but often misunderstood part of your retirement income plan. Listen to Money Matters with Alan Mike, 2 p.m. Sunday on the Biz 1440, or call them at 855-231-6010. Take your investment knowledge to new heights this year on the 2023 Eagle Financial Publications Cruise. Join us along with The Money Show on a luxury voyage to the Caribbean and learn from top financial experts like George Gilder and Mark Skelson through workshops and seminars. Relax and refresh all while discussing investment strategies with like-minded individuals. Secure your spot today at EagleFinancialCruise.com. That's EagleFinancialCruise.com. Eagle Financial is a division of Salem Media Group. Charlie Kirk here. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. AM is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you advised of threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. It takes teamwork to stay safe on Minnesota roads during the winter. You can help. When you see snowplows at work, slow down. Slower speeds can save lives. Don't crowd the plow and leave plenty of space between yourself and other vehicles. Keep your headlights on to see and be seen. Avoid distractions and always stay alert behind the wheel. This message brought to you by the Minnesota Department of Transportation, the Minnesota Broadcasters Association, and this station. Did you know you were kicking in your mommy's tummy before you were born? We were? Yep. I just learned at school that babies move and kick before they're even born. No No wonder we're so good at soccer. That's right, kids. A pre-born baby is moving about and even kicking just 14 weeks from conception. Hello, my name is Marianne Koharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of information and alternatives to abortion, or you'd like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America... 
please call 1-800-366-7773, 1-800-366-7773, or visit our website at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Pro-Life Across America is non-political and totally educational. A baby's heart is beating 18 days from conception. Welcome back, King Daniel Show, the Biz 1440. Glad to be with you today. We're looking through the Jay Powell press conference. Let me play just a couple more quick clips from the part of it talking about interest rates. And I do want to take some time to talk about what he said about Silicon Valley and the banking issues, generally speaking, which is which was a version of, hey, man, not my table. Um, so he just, in my mind, gives one answer that that, that is off and i think he knew it because 90 seconds later he says something that i think will be the refrain for the next few weeks from the fed which is basically that the unemployment rate is strong the friday report that we just did the last hour confirmed it for him but he has this to say cut number 15 50 year low in unemployment uh wages you all will have seen the the wage number from uh uh, late last week, and it's you know, whenever it was, and uh, you know it's it's a couple percentage points above what would be what would be consistent with two percent inflation over time. So we do see some softening. We see new labor supply coming in. These are very positive developments, but um, the labor market is very very strong. Whereas inflation is you know running high, well above our well above our goal, and right now we need to be focusing on bringing inflation down. Fortunately, we've been able to do that so far without unemployment going up. There's been a lot of focus in from the Powell press conference and in earlier statements they've made that that the wage issue is, you know, it's the Fed seems to be cheering for lower wage increases. And in some areas you are seeing lower wage increases, but not in, significantly in other ones. And and I understand that people believe wages should you know fast wage growth should be good. But here's the point. Fast wage growth that is the result of inflationary pressures and demands from workers, you've got to pay us more or else we're not going to be here, are, in fact, a sign that you have high inflation. Fast wage growth as a result of increases in productivity are fantastic, and Federal Reserve policy should never react to that. What is the case currently for saying that the wage increases we're seeing in the labor market are the result of faster productivity growth? There aren't. So I don't have a problem, unlike some people that I hear, I don't have a problem with the Federal Reserve pointing to fast wage growth and saying this is a sign of inflation because they're able to strike out good wage growth and separate it from bad wage growth. There is such a thing as bad wage growth. Bad wage growth is a result of tight labor markets where businesses have pricing power to pass those wage increases on in higher prices is something you do want to stop. Wage increases as a result of workers becoming more productive and actually enhancing the growth of the economy are good wage increases, and you should never try to use monetary policy to stop that. 
But I don't think that's the situation we have right now. Indeed, Paul says this again. This is cut 16. If wages are running at 5%, 3% is closer to where they need to be. Wage increases and closer to 3%, roughly, is what it would take to, get, to be consistent with inflation over a longer period of time. I did, by the way, I, I don't want to – I do not think that wages are the principal driver of inflation. You're asking me a very specific question. I think there are many things. I think wages and prices tend to move together, and it's very hard to say what's causing what. But, I, you know, I've never said that, you know, that, that, that wages are really the principal driver, because I, I, I don't think that's really right. And he's right about that. And this is, this is a case where I think, I think the chair has had good information from that from – that, uh, from some people in his uh, in his uh, economic staff, um, the staff economists that work there, probably spent a fair amount of time doing basic background on the latest research on connections between wages and prices. I'm sure they're doing that right now, and it sounds like he took some of that lesson. Um, um, one last point on this. Let me play the. Let me play this. Cut seventeen. We on the committee have a have a view that inflation is going to come down not so quickly, but it'll take some time. And in that world, if that forecast is broadly right, it would not be appropriate and, and to, to cut rates, and we won't cut rates. If you have a different forecast, and, you know, uh, markets are, have been from time to time pricing in, you know, quite rapid reductions in inflation, um, you know, we'd, we'd factor that in. But that's not our forecast. That's not our, not our forecast, Right. And that's the, and this is him basically trying to undo what I think was the damage. It doesn't mean he's got a ticker on his t- on, on his table telling him what he says and getting immediate feedback from the from the market. But I think he knew when he gave that answer to Timuros that that was not a well well executed answer, and that he he was trying to signal more. I don't think the markets heard him. They're going to spend another week or two cleaning up the mess on aisle five. Um, let me turn to the banking piece because I just I want to take a little time to talk about this. So at the top of the hour, I said a lot of the questions come around a presentation that was made to the Fed by its supervisor, supervision and regulation team back on February 14th about Silicon Valley Bank. That they that note that had come out and. Powell had not taken questions since that information came out, so the press corps wanted to ask him about this. But I should note, at the very beginning, before talking about the interest rate increase, before he got there, and before he talked about inflation, his first paragraph of his prepared remarks was about the banking sector. And he says this, cut two, please. Before discussing today's meeting, uh, let me comment briefly on recent developments in the banking sector. Conditions in that sector have broadly improved since early March, and the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. We will continue to monitor conditions in the sector. We're committed to learning the right lessons from this episode and will work to prevent events like these from happening again. As a first step in that process, last week we released Vice Chair for Supervision Barr's review of the Federal Reserve's supervision and regulation of Silicon Valley Bank. The review's findings underscore the need to address our rules and supervisory practices to make for a stronger and more resilient banking system, and I'm confident that we will do so. So the first thing he gets hit with after he makes that statement, which is which is what you got to say, right? The financial system's sound. We got this under control. 
don't any, don't worry. He then gets uh, a question from from uh, Steve Leisman from CNBC asking about Silicon Valley, and he asks about the um, about the February fourteenth presentation that has now been was came out in testimony at the at in Congress back at the end of March, and so he gets asked by Leisman about this, and and off they off these two went to the races. Let's play this first cut eight. So the February 14th presentation, I didn't remember it very well, but now, of course, I've gone back and looked at it very carefully. I did remember it. And what it was was a general presentation. It was an informational briefing of the whole board, the entire board. I think all members were there. And uh, it was about interest rate risk in the banks and and, um, lots of data. And there was one page on Silicon Valley Bank, which talked about... Uh, you know, the uh, amount of losses they are uh, mark to market losses they had in their portfolio. There was nothing in it about uh, that. I recall anyway, about um, about the risk of a bank run. So that 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 again, this comes out. This is after their February meeting when they've already stepped down their increases to 50 basis points from 75. They're now at 50 and now they're going to move on to the 20. They're about to move to the 25. And so Leesman asked, and so Leesman asked follow up. And this next clip, and I'm going to play this before we go to the break, is uh, this next clip is Leesman following up on that answer, um, and and actually really trying to dig in on this. Cut nine, please. I don't mean to be argumentative, but the the staff report said SVB has significant interest rate risk. It said interest rate risk measurements failed at SVB. And it said banks with large unrealized losses face significant safety and soundness risk. Why was that not alarming? Well, I mean, I didn't say it wasn't alarming. It was they're pointing out something that they're working on and that they're on the case that, they, you know, that uh, I'm not sure whether they mentioned. Um, I think they did, actually. They mentioned um, that they had taken regulatory action matter or supervisory action in the form of matters requiring attention. So I think that was also in the presentation. Now, in the list, and I wish I had, I wish I had my friend Vern here to, to discuss this. In the list of the things that a bank is told by a regulator to do, matters, matters requiring attention is significant, but it's it's short of sort of like, hey, you got to stop now, you got you got to fix things absolutely right now. Um, but what's interesting about that is there's not a recognition in that answer that the interest rate risk. Um, is because of the Federal Reserve's action, right? The calls are coming from inside the House, and the and and so the board hears this presentation in February. They go to their March meeting a month later. All you know, right, then SVB and Signature fail. They go to their meeting. They talk about. You know, yeah, yeah, it impacted us, but we really are focused on inflation. We think regulation will take care of this. We think the regulators will take care of this, and it won't be won't be a big problem. They raised twenty five, and then they raised another twenty five on Wednesday, and and Leesman is asking, "Hey, don't you understand that maybe that interest rate risk is because of your actions?" And he says, "No, the regulators kind of did have that. It's 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 good. Everything will be okay." We'll be back with with just a little bit more about this right after these messages. You are listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. The 
1440, KYCR Golden Valley. Okay, we are running a car drive right now to help veterans all across America. So if you have an old car, truck, or van, even a motorcycle or an RV sitting around, you can right now give it away and help the vets. They really need your help. And your car will help support the vets and their families. And guess what? You even get a tax donation. Plus, we'll even come and pick up your car for free. And all you've got to do is pick up your phone right now and make a free call. Now is the perfect time to do something good for the vets. Give back to the vets right now for all they've done for this country. And your old car can really help them. So call the Veterans Car Donation Program right now for free pickup of your vehicle. Help the vets and help your taxes at the same time. Call right now. 800-884-9018 800-884-9018 That's 800-884-9018 Every day the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today, or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. Officer Tatum here. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. AM is also the backbone of emergency alert systems, keeping you advised on threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to the number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. $40,000? Yes. To fix up your house. You're millionaires. Yes. (laughs) You had to call me about $40,000 when you have have almost $2 million? The Ramsey Show, live every weekday afternoon from 1 to 4. Salmon fishing in Alaska at an amusement park in Green Bay or taking a stroll through Loring Park. We're where you are. Listen to the Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Welcome back, King Daniel Show, the Biz 1440, last segment of the show today. Um, let me play just a couple more things about, uh, about, about this, because what happens in this press conference is in some ways the... F- Powell is basically trying to establish that the Fed has two arms that are working separately and relying on law. Remember his background, he's a lawyer, not an economist, he's a lawyer. He's relying on the law to sort of say, the issues of the banking sector, not my issue. Yes, it's the Federal Reserve issue, but Dodd-Frank established this separate title 
appointed, okay, confirmed by Congress for a vice chair of supervision. The vice chair of supervision is not completely under the control of the chair of the Fed, is what he's trying to say. And there are decisions that are being made that are the responsibility of the Treasury Department or FDIC or even the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. He says, hey, I'm just one regulator and a whole bunch of them. And just to give you an example, he's asked a question about uh, about J.P. Morgan getting to be a larger bank because it absorbed uh, First Republic Bank uh, this past week. Um, and he and he's asked by uh, by someone from Politico, you don't have any concerns about the fact that they're getting larger in general? And he says this, cut 10. So I, I, th- I think it's probably good policy that we, we don't want the largest banks doing big acquisitions. That is the policy. And, uh, but this is, a, this is an exception for a failing bank, and I, I think it's actually a good outcome for the banking system. It also wouldn't have, would have been a good, a good outcome for the banking system had one of the regional banks bought, bought this company, and that could have been the outcome. But ultimately... We have to follow the law in our agencies, and the law as it goes to the uh, the, the, the least cost bid. Right, J.P. Morgan is, is said to have been the you know reportedly, and I assume the documents will come out and we'll learn more. But J.P. Morgan was the low cost bidder, low cost being low cost to the taxpayer to the to the deposit insurance fund. Um that it was lower than what PNC who reportedly also had bid on bid on first Republic had, had put forward. Um, but then when it comes late in the, in the process, Paul is asked once again about, about what is happening in, uh, uh, um, what, what is happening in, uh, in the banking sector. And this is Greg Robb from market watch who asks, uh, Hey, in this financial crisis, have you reflected on what your role's been? What do you think? Uh, what do you think uh, uh, you should have done? Do you have any regrets at all? And he gives this for an answer. This is cut eighteen. So on on the vice chair for supervision, you know, the the place to start is is the statutory role, which is quite unusual. The vice chair, uh, it says, shall deploy policy recommendations, develop policy recommendations for the board regarding supervision and regulation of depository institution companies uh, and shall oversee the supervision and regulation of such firms. So this is Congress establishing a four-year term for someone else on the board, not not the chair, as vice chair for supervision, who really gets to set the agenda for supervision and regulation for the Board of Governors. Congress wanted that person to be, to have political accountability for developing that agenda. I find this fascinating and maddening. Fascinating insofar as he's relying on the language of Dodd-Frank to say, basically, I have somebody who works in my building, who is a member of my board, but is being appointed by somebody else and has accountability not to me as the chair, but has accountability to Congress separate from its their, their behavior toward me. My question then would be, well, then why is he in the Federal Reserve? Why is Michael Barr or Randy Quarles before him? Why are they on the Federal Reserve Board if they're answering to Congress? Why are they not in a separate organization? It's kind. It's it's striking to me, and and I wonder if this is what has made them a little blindsided 
to what's been happening with the regional banks. Indeed, he had, I guess, got this tiny little clip, about 13 seconds, of him talking about the fact that they got kind of taken by surprise by Silicon Valley. Let's play this, cut 19. This The run on Silicon Valley Bank was out of keeping with the speed of runs through history. And that now needs to be reflected in some, in some way in regulation and in supervision. That, that just fascinates me. That, that he's almost treating himself like he's a victim of circumstances. I didn't write Dodd Frank. They put they put this person in my office. He's on my board, but I don't get. But they get to pick who that is. I don't get to pick who that is, and so it's their problem, not mine. And now he's going to say Silicon Valley took them by surprise, but it's not his issue, or not his. I, I mean, I'm dumbstruck by the fact that the the Fed, you know, the Federal Reserve is trying to achieve a soft landing. The threat to the soft landing is not raising rates in and of itself. The threat to the soft landing is that they end up with a financial crisis, uh, and 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 that's what makes me think they're not going to stick the landing. Just as I don't think, I don't think Chair Powell stuck the landing of that press conference on Wednesday either. I think it was a little bit of a mess uh, of a press conference, and um, and and I think you'll see them trying to do cleanup over the next few few weeks here. Thank you for listening. We're gone next week. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Jim and I knew of Robbinsdale Women's Center, but didn't really know them until we toured. We were astonished by the amazing facilities and the genuine love and care the staff showed each woman that walked through the doors. That tour began our partnership with Robbinsdale Women's Center. Cindy and I have witnessed RWC's fiscal stewardship of our financial gifts. Being on the board has allowed me to see the careful discernment and prayerful thought that goes into every decision at Robbinsdale Women's Center. RWC receives no government funding and is debt-free. RWC owns all their assets and is 100% donor-supported. We're amazed at the number of abortion-minded women they serve. Weekly, five women, initially at risk of aborting their pregnancies, instead choose life. Join Cindy and I in supporting Robbinsdale Women's Center. Your gift will bring hope and life. Go to rwcinfo.org and help more mothers choose life. Let's make a difference. rwcinfo.org. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late-inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school. Plus all those memories that are on the line too what can you do it's simple buy a ticket when you can go to a game take the whole family let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive this message presented by the minnesota state high school league and the minnesota interscholastic activities administrators association 
I always thought that tires would be more expensive at a dealership, but Invergrove Hyundai proved me wrong. Hi, it's Mike from Rosemont. I knew I needed a new set of tires before winter. My go-to is usually my warehouse club because, hey, they're a warehouse club, right? They have to have the best deal. I bought two cars at Invergrove Hyundai, and they're great to work with, so I thought I'd just see what they had to offer. I told Tyler what I usually spend and asked if he had a good set of tires in that price range. He gave me a great quote, and it was a few bucks under my limit on a set of four tires. Plus, he got me in and out in an hour. If you need tires, skip the specialty shop and the warehouse clubs and give Invergrove Hyundai a call. Let them know what you need, and they'll take care of you like they did for me. Invergrove Hyundai's service technicians are ready for you no matter what kind of vehicle you drive. Open 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. weekdays. Call them today or schedule your appointment at InvergroveHyundai.com. That's InvergroveHyundai.com. Business and investing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.